Hello, 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 hello. Good afternoon, morning, or evening, wherever this podcast finds you. It's been a minute since I did one of these. I felt like it made sense to jump on here and just kind of send out a quick disclaimer for for our devoted listeners that have noticed a lack of consistency uh, in sharing of episodes. We're doing our best. I... Uh, for those who know me, who knows who know for those who know Isaac, know that uh, the two tall Jews on this day in Jewish history, Jewish original media, this is a side hustle for us, and it has been for the last three years. And and Baruch Hashem, we've we've made it work. We've been we've been as consistent as we can be uh, with all of our responsibilities. You know, it's not just work, but also of course social life and uh, time to spend with family, time to spend on our own. So we do our best. So we apologize for the delay and the lack of consistency as we used to do every other week, a new episode. Uh, God willing, we are aiming to get back to that uh, level of that or that rate of releasing. Um, please bear with us. We do, we do appreciate your listenership and we do appreciate you coming back week in and week out. Of course, you can always revisit old episodes. We have so much amazing content here. If you if you feel like you're missing our voices and our interviews, you're always welcome to jump back into some of our older episodes and and let us know. You know, let us know uh, if you want us to bring something back or you want us to interview someone again. We we appreciate that sort of feedback. Today's episode is a cool one, I must say. We had a very amazing uh, guest. His name is Rick Richmond, as you probably already can tell. He's an author, an educator, and uh, a very smart person. It was very fun having a conversation with him, a fellow uh, fanatic of history. Not just a fanatic; he's also a uh, he's you know he's uh, he's got a good background in history. He knows a lot about Jewish history and Israeli history. His new book, And None Shall Make Them Afraid, Eight Stories of the Modern State of Israel, is really the main topic of conversation, but we get into a bunch of different things. So I hope you enjoy this. We do have another episode coming out soon featuring Noah Jacobson, Noe Jacobson, if anybody knows the name from the Maccabees. Um, stay tuned for that. He is uh, he, he's part of a, a new production with Unpacked, Jewish Unpacked, and uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, that'll be our next episode. And after that, we'll probably take another break, um, given, like like I mentioned, given some of the things that we have going on in our lives and um, just in general, we don't uh, we don't have any we don't have many guests lined up at the moment. So we're going to take some time away to focus on a couple bigger picture things uh, for on this day in Jewish history and Jewish original media looking ahead to the future, uh, making sure that we keep this going. And um, yeah, thank you for being a part of it. And we appreciate all of your support, all of your likes and follows and shares and everything. Everything matters and we see it all. So thank you very much. And with that, please enjoy the episode. So obviously today we're going to be talking about your new book called... And none shall make them afraid. Eight stories of the modern state of Israel. You were kind enough to send us a copy. I guess right at the top, what's the what's the elevator pitch for the book, and and what why should people purchase it?
<laughs> it's a book. The eight stories are eight stories of eight individuals, starting with Theodore Herzl in 1895, going all the way through 125 years later to Ron Dermer. Um, so it goes from the Jewish state being simply an idea that everyone thought was crazy to 125 years later where the Jewish state is not only in existence, but the prime minister is addressing the United States Congress for the third time, something that nobody other than Winston Churchill ever did as a foreign leader. And what it does is it takes these eight individuals and puts them down chronologically. So it goes from Herzl to Dermer and to the problems currently facing Israel. And I found that it was a good way to portray Israeli history, not at 30,000 feet with great issues, great movements, but through individuals, the people who devoted their lives to this. And so it's an attempt to tell Israeli history, uh, Jewish history, Zionist history in a way that really hasn't been done before. Okay. So throughout each of the stories, you use the word assimilate a lot in reference to the Jews that you profile. How would you define assimilation? And would you say that their assimilation uh, evolves through their Zionism? So assimilation is something that Jews faced throughout history because they didn't have a state. And so they didn't have their own national identity uh, in terms of land to live on and a country to govern themselves. Mm -hmm. And by necessity, they had to assimilate to the society around them. What Zionism did was recognize not simply the need for a state, not simply the need for land to live on, but a state as a means of confirming identity as a Jew. That you had, and that was Herzl's great insight, was that you didn't need simply to go to Palestine. You needed to have a Jewish identity that was first established and then you could establish a state. And so this tension between centuries of assimilation and also many places where Jews, at least when Herzl was starting out, were perfectly comfortable. And later in the United States, where many Jews thought they were home, they weren't in exile, they had found a new Zion. You've mm -hmm. got this tension between Zionism and assimilation, between fears of dual loyalty and identity as a Jew, um, it's always intention, uh, intention, and it's always a creative tension. It's produced so many fascinating people, which the book attempts to portray, who've mm -hmm. devoted themselves to this idea of what is Jewish identity and how do you realize it in the modern world. So you're correct. There's the assimilation is a current theme, but Jewish identity is, is a theme as well. Uh, so uh, it's an attempt to, to do both at the same time. It's interesting what you bring up. because So I live in Israel. Thank God I, I made Aliyah almost two years ago, and I live in Jerusalem. And I've noticed that there is a certain amount of, it's a different type of assimilation that exists here within the Jewish community of assimilating to become Israeli. Like So then, it, then that becomes a question of what does it mean to be Israeli? Um, and then what does it mean to be either a secular Israeli or religious Israeli? So there's a different sort of assimilation of especially olim the immigrants we have a lot of these conversations of oh should i move to a community with a lot of american jews 
but then I won't inter. I guess the word that we use here is integrate instead of assimilate. I won't integrate into into the society in the best way, uh, as opposed to going into a more Israeli community and then kind of like you know jumping off the deep end, forcing myself to speak Hebrew, even if it sounds bad, even if I make mistakes, um, and then assimilating in quotation marks. So I guess I've realized as I'm speaking, the word is more integrating. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's an evolution of of this of, of the same thing you're speaking about of you know trying to figure out what is our Jewish identity like who are we, yeah. You know, there's a comedian out here who says Judaism is this an incredibly unique religion because you can go all the way from ultra orthodox to completely secular, and you can place yourself wherever you are on that wide spectrum. And his joke is that wherever you put yourself on that spectrum, somebody who's more religious than you, crazy. Someone who's not as religious as you, not really Jewish. So everybody's got their own definition of what it means to be a Jew. And one of the things the book shows um, is that if there had been a single definition of Zionism, it, it wouldn't have succeeded. It yes. succeeded because Ben-Gurion had one sort of Zionism. Weitzman had another. Jabotinsky had another. Brandeis in America had another. And it was a creative tension between those different approaches, those different ideas, that they had to fight each other intellectually. They had to fight each other for resources, for followers, which meant they had to be attractive intellectually morally from a literary standpoint and this small people produce so many different perspectives on zionism and jewish identity that it didn't it didn't fossilize it was creative and um i think i hope one of the things that the book shows is that that was essential to the creation after two millennia of the jewish state and it's important today with what we're seeing going on in Israel. You, you need to be able to have all sides, all perspectives respected with a voice, and then you need to work things out. Um, that's been Jewish history, Zionist history itself. So there are lessons from the book's not simply history. The book is something that's commenting in its way about what's happening this very day in Israel. Yeah. Your book, Racing Against History, uh, the 1940 campaign for a Jewish army to fight Hitler, uh, draws on some of the same individuals as your most recent book that we've been talking about. Uh, To what extent was your most recent book born out of your first? And why did you choose these figures? Can you speak a little bit about your process and inspiration? Yeah, so that, that first book, you're right, was about the 1940 campaign for a Jewish army to fight Hitler. And Ben Gurion, Weitzman and Jabotinsky were each in the United States for months at a time. There wasn't a month during 1940 when one of them wasn't here. But the interesting thing was they weren't speaking to each other. And by not speaking to each other, I I don't mean that they weren't coordinating. They weren't on speaking terms. And this small people who were under existential threat, the war was on, were coming to America. And when I first came across this story, I, I said to myself, America is the last place you would go in 1940 to try and alert people about the condition of Jews in Europe 
and to try to find establish a Jewish army because I, America was frozen in isolationism. The last thing any Americans, including Jewish Americans, wanted to do was become involved in another European war. And it turned out that the reason you come to America, even though in 1940, even though it's the last place you would go to, is that it was the last place you could go to. And all three of those Zionist leaders recognized that Europe was in flames, that Palestine was blocked by the British, who had an obligation to facilitate a Jewish homeland, but had reneged on it by then. And so the United States was where the Jewish future was going to be determined. And so the three of them came to the United States and spent months at a time and had this extraordinary reaction from American Jews, some of whom wanted nothing to do with anything, uh, but many of whom rallied to the cause that these three great leaders were producing. So in a, in a way, the two books are related in the sense that I'm trying to tell history through individuals, uh, through the through the lives of individuals who have cre who have dedicated their lives to this idea and to this identity as Jews, and it's a remarkable story in my mind that you can have three people as diverse as Ben Gurion, Weitzman, and uh, Jabotinsky, who literally would wouldn't talk to each other they were on such different pages but all trying to do the same thing which was to rally the jews at a time of existential threat and but and ni that's 1940 eight years later there's a jewish state because of the efforts of all three of them 100%. so you know we've mentioned jewish identity jewish culture as key themes that run through your different pieces um, your different books how does your own background in your own Jewish uh, identity inform uh, sort of your approach to to the figures that you selected? Because obviously, you know, if we sit down, we could probably have selected eight different figures uh, <laughs> and somehow not mention these. But so how, how how do you think that your own background, your own Jewish upbringing informs um, what you choose to focus on? Well, I had, you know, I got a very good uh, secular education, uh, a, a pretty good Jewish education. And I spent a summer on a kibbutz back in the 60s, uh, back at a time when the kibbutzing movement appeared to be uh, one of the most idealistic, one of the most uh, uh, economically interesting movements. It was giving socialism at the ground level its, its best possible test at the time. So I spent a summer, a summer in Israel, and I've been back since uh, uh, the synagogue that I belong to, which is Sinai temple in uh, los angeles um has done several solidarity trips during um, the second intifada and during the lebanese war uh, went down to stay row to try and support the jews there when they were subjected to rockets almost every day and so i've had this contact uh, but on the other hand i'm I'm, I'm my, my family. I have no family, no direct family in Israel. It's all here in the United States. And I came across these uh, stories really by accident. Um, I was reading some of the essays that Jabotinsky wrote in the 1920s. And they were such fascinating essays. And I wanted to 
find out more about him. And then I discovered that he died in 1940 in America. And I thought, what's he doing in 1940 in America? Uh, I thought first he must be retired. You know, he must be, must be like Solzhenitsyn in Vermont. Um, And then I find out what he's there for. And then I find out the story. And then I, I asked myself, how come I didn't know this story? How come I would always tell my wife, I'd find things out and I'd, I'd say, well, why didn't my teachers teach me this? Yes. And the answer was always, well, they didn't know it either. And in fact, they didn't know it. And it goes back, I think, to the nine, to after World War II, when you've got Holocaust survivors in America, but they don't want to talk about history. They, they, they're trying to get over it, not, not talk about it. So they didn't talk about it. And American Jews who were in, in, uh, in the United States throughout this period, they were suffering from a triple disability. They had survivor's guilt, they had bystander's guilt, and they had sheer shock at the, as the details about the Holocaust came to light. And so they didn't want to talk about it either. Um, and nobody talked about it for, for really decades here in America. And so we're just now starting to recover the history that was there but wasn't taught um, because for, for, for these, in my opinion, for these reasons. And therefore, uh, there's, it, it's almost like a new story. I tell these stories that are in the book. And people's jaw drops. They 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 had no idea, and neither did I, uh, despite my good education, both secular and religious and Jewish cultural. So, my background is you know no particular expertise. I just started investigating and researching, and these stories would produce other stories and lead me to other people, and I'd try to understand them, and. I, I didn't set out to write a book. I set out to find out more about what had happened and why I didn't know about it. And chapter by chapter, it, it, it became a book, but it wasn't intended to, to be one originally. And part of what, and that's perhaps why it's not a standard uh, history book, but what I found out is that if I put these portraits of individual people chronologically from Herzl up to the present that it would tell the story of Israel and the story of Zionism and it would tell it in a way that people could relate to because it was stories of individuals you didn't have to get into Zionist theory you didn't have to get into international relations you didn't have to study military movements you just had to see how people sort of passed a baton an invisible baton from one to another over the last 125 years to, to get us to where we are now. So you, you asked me about my background. I started from zero, actually, in a sense, from a historical sense, because American Jews, I think, lost their heritage. Um, they, they, got, they got a great home to live in, but in the process sort of forgot where they came from. And this book is an attempt to restore that story in a way that people can relate to okay love it um so i I must share that as a as an observant person i don't like to use the word religious so as an observant person i was a little bit 
I guess I would have loved to have seen maybe like Ruf Cook or somebody somebody in the list that was uh, also from the religious side of things. Um, and so that, that leads to a question of, um, of Zionism. Obviously, in the modern iteration of it, it, it has been mostly secular. Obviously, it's not completely true because of figures like Rav Cook and Rav Shmuel Mulliver and, and, and Rav Shmuel Al-Kalai. There's, there's so many that people kind of look over. Um, but inherently, the reason that Zionism becomes a thing is because of right, the, I guess you can call religious biblical right that the Jews hold to this piece of land or else we would have gone to Uganda as, as Herzl was pushing for. Um, so uh, so I, I guess it's not really a question of why didn't you include, I, I understand because of, because of you know, the, the background and, and you wanted to focus on, on, the, on the big guys uh, and women in there as well. <laughs> um, but I guess, what, what, do you, what do you take of, like what's your take on this, on this idea that, that Zionism um, is, I guess, misunderstood uh, internally as uh, inherently a secular ideology when really it has religious roots. You know, it's a wonderful point you're making. Uh, and you, you are correct. I wish, uh, I, I wish I'd come across the, the story of Rev Cook. And I, you, you know, what, what I, what I do have in there sort of indirectly is, is Peter Bergson, who was, you know, hello cook, but that, but that's not really the point that you're, that you're making. And I agree with your point. I've got eight people. There could be eight others and right. religious Jews ought to be part of it. And you're, you're correct that Zionism is largely uh, perceived as sort of a revolt against um religious judaism because it was a revolt against the idea that you shouldn't force the end that you should wait for the messiah that um you had to wait you know doing it yourself was was kind of sacrilegious but the you don't have zionism without in my view judaism and jewish history going back mm -hmm. 2000 really 3500 years back and the religious Zionists were as important in terms of generating support as certainly the secular Jews. And um, although it, I, I don't have the individuals really in the book to make the point you're making, the point you're making is very important and very true. And um, <laughs> I, I could do eight more people if, uh, yeah. if I had time and world enough. And certainly Cook would, 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 would probably be the first one. So. Okay. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I I absolutely agree with the point you're making. Yeah, I wasn't trying to like you know attack you or anything for it. It's just it's just something I noticed, and and so. Yeah. I, it was what you know what it, it's yeah. a unique attack I've got. Yeah, <laughs> attack, but it, it's a unique criticism. It's criticism. a unique point because yes. usually I'm criticized for where's Ben Gurion. Ben Gurion <laughs> isn't in this book. Yeah, you know um, enough about him. And yeah. Ben Gurion is famous enough, you know. He doesn't yeah, need yeah. me to write a chapter about him, and it's not political in the sense I don't have Menachem Begin in there either. Mm -hmm. And uh, Menachem Begin, you know, was in a sense the most Jewish or the most yeah. religious prime minister I think that we've had. Um, and so, in a, it, he's not in there either. And um, I. I, I Maybe I should have included both. I'll tell you an interesting anecdote that from the from my first book when there was a, a filmmaker who made who, who discovered some 
letters or diaries of Ben Gurion in a closet in the kibbutz where he lived, never never before disclosed. He did a documentary on it. Came to Los Angeles where I live and and um, I, I introduced him to the crowd that was watching the documentary. And before it, I said to him, "Look, I'm working on a book about." Jabotinsky, Weitzman, Ben Gurion coming to the United States in 1940. Now, I'm just curious as to what kids in Israel know about these three figures. I'm sure they know about Ben Gurion, but do they really know about Jabotinsky and Weitzman? And this guy says to me, "Well, no, they don't. But it's really worse than you think. They think Ben Gurion is an airport. So." <laughs> uh, you know, there's a need, I think, I, think. I, I can't speak personally, but I think kids in, in Israel need to know more about their own history, secular and religious, um, in order to under, appreciate what they've got. In the same way kids in America, except for Hamilton, they know none of the American founders, and they only know Hamilton because he, he's a Broadway show. Um yeah. And you lose so much if you've lost the story of how all this began mm -hmm. and, and, and what I call the invisible baton that's not only passed from people, person to person in this book, but passed to us. You know, we're, we're the ones who've got the baton right now and we can't carry it, uh, certainly not successfully, unless we know the story of the people who ran the race and handed it off and have given it to us. And David McCullough, in writing about uh, John Adams, one of the founders, made the point that if you if you have a history and it's a it's a her it's a priceless heritage, but you don't know it's a heritage and you don't know that it's priceless, you're going to lose it. So you've got to know the stories of what people went through in order to give us this historically from a Jewish standpoint, incredible time in Jewish history to be living. And we have an obligation to know what happened, how we got this and to pass it on. And you can't do it without an understanding of history. Your, your point, I think, is maybe may a valid one that you also need a religious perspective and you need to bring that into the picture more than you certainly don't. You certainly shouldn't be denigrating, in my view, um, uh, the Haredim and, and some of the things that are going on in Israel, uh, although I'm a conservative uh, a capital C Jew, not, not, not Orthodox, but um, I fully understand the idea that the Orthodox are doing more than the rest of us are doing. And, and we, at a minimum, we should respect it and certainly should not be criticizing it. So a little painful to me personally to see some of the things that are going on in that that respect in Israel. 100%. As you mentioned, you know, this history, while we should have a strong understanding of our own history as a tribe, the history is ongoing and the memory is living and the race is hopefully never ending. If you were to write this book in, part two. in 30, 40 years, or, or part two, you mentioned how you know, these figures are modern in the historical sense, but if we were to bring, if, we, if you were to look at the pool of figures from the last sort of 30 years that have emerged and write a part two in a decade or two, who would you, who would you choose? Who do you think has carried that torch well? Well, uh, th this will be an answer you won't expect. I would do a book 
about the spouses mm -hmm. of the people who are in this story and and currently because it turns out that these great men of history really couldn't have done what they did without spouses who made incredible sacrifices and they're not just all all women uh, uh golda Meir's husband right. made a tremendous sacrifice for her to be able to first go to palestine and then do what she did in 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 zionist and then israeli politics and so it's what it what that indicates to me is that you don't have to be one of these great figures of history in order to have an impact on it you have to simply be committing your life to a goal or supporting a goal or helping even your one's own spouse in in helping to achieve it so i would certainly do that um i think you know the the chapter that i haven't quite written i wrote the last chapter in this book is on ron dermer it's not on 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 benjamin netanyahu uh in part because bb is still in i mean he's still in history the story mm -hmm. is in the middle of it and uh you can't quite have a historical perspective unless you 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 know how the story ends um so but but presumably you know it would take me five years ten years to write that book so I might have that perspective. Um, I wonder what you guys, do you guys have an answer to that question? Do you have a, do you have suggestions as to who are the people that we 10 years from now, 20 years from now, will be looking back on? Well, I mean, looking to the, it's a good question because I, I mean, I look at the landscape now and I, and I think like we need people, we need like the old guard types because I, you know, I, there's nobody in this government that inspires me in, 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 in and makes me want to, you know, like, be a part of this. And it's it's kind of sad. Maybe Ben Gavir, but uh, <laughs> aside from that, no, I am. Um... Yeah. Well, for well, me, you know, well, you know what? You, you know what? I, I, I have an additional thought. Yeah. Which is what we'll be looking back on is guys like you who mm -hmm. who did this, you know, this podcast. I mean, you had a, you had a tool that previous generations didn't have and look what you're doing with it and it's it's and you're one obviously of many but yeah. this whole phenomenon of spending the time to use a technology and spread information and discussion and enable people to look at it on their phones you know yeah. when, they, when they're walking somewhere that's a revolutionary development and um if it's done well it, it will have important impacts on the future so it may be you know a lot of people ask me about my book does it does it validate the the great man theory of history thomas carlisle's theory that history was just the extended biography of great men or great women and i actually say in response to that that no it's almost the opposite it's the small individual theory of history because these people weren't great men until we see their story at the end of their lives they didn't start out that way they started out as individuals who made a commitment or enthralled by an idea or inspired by other people um and that's that's where we are right now we're we're obviously not great men of history but what we're doing um you know in a small way in this conversation is spreading in some information and some stories and some points of view that people wouldn't have had access to 
mm-hmm. not only in previous decades, but but today, if if people like you didn't do a show like this, and uh, mm-hmm. were able to have this conversation, so uh, it's a very very you know important de- it's a democratization I think of history and influence because we all have access to this technology and can use it. And it's going to it, it, it it's it's going to be important. I think. We're looking back, I think we will see how important it was. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I do That's want to a- give uh, a quick answer to your question. I and it's not a the person I would choose doesn't hold um, a seat in parliament or isn't part of the political process per se, but. So as a Holocaust educator and a student of the Holocaust and someone who does graduate level research in the Holocaust, I've sort of spent a lot of time learning about sort of the state and the history of Holocaust education and that inter- sort of the intersections of history and memory, which I know is your specialty as well. And I think I would definitely put Dara Horn in that conversation with regard to people who were changing the landscape for the better with regard to how can we make the Jewish community look inwards with regard to the role we play with the responsibility we have to educate the next generation of Jews and non-Jews with regard to the Holocaust. And here's where we've had historical mishaps and this is how we can revise the record for the future. Yeah, no, that's going to be an important record, particularly as as people who were alive during the Holocaust are no longer with us, uh, it becomes harder, uh, but also more important because if you lose that thread and that story, um, you know, who knows what, what, what can happen and what you've lost in terms of identity. So I, I, absolutely, I, I agree with you. I think that, that that's a good thought. It, it's, you know, there's all these theories about the end of history and history has an arc, and and therefore it's going to bend the way you want it. Um, or there's a right side of history; you just have to be there uh, or be on it. And all these are false. And you can, you 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 can, not just the eight people I'm talking about, but the people you're talking about. Um, you can see how things could have gone very differently. Uh, you don't know how history is going to play out. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen next week. You know, in, in in Israel or the United States, well, we don't know, but 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 people will look back and say, well, it went from A to B to C to D. Why don't you do something about it? And the answer is, we're in the same position that, you, that all our predecessors were in. You don't know what history is going to turn out unless you yourself. What you yourself can do is be be part of it, be part of the conversation, um, be part of defending your point of view, and multiplied by thousands and thousands of people and so many more people can be part of the conversation now that's going to affect history so um i i, I we, we you know what we probably don't know the, the reason this question is so difficult for all of us to answer is yeah. we, we don't know who the people will be uh but there'll be somebody and um uh, hopefully almost as a matter of necessity it'll be somebody who knows the history of their people and is committed to passing it on and protecting it in the in the present and passing it on into the future. And that's why the, the quote I, I, I've used so many times in my writing and it almost is, ends this, the, the book is Louis Brandeis in 1915 
saying that we are the trustees of Jewish history charged to carry on what others in the past have borne so well. And he was talking about in 1915, um, uh, the, the people who, um, who had no, you know, they didn't have what we have, which is 125 more years of history, plus the state of Israel. So we have tools they couldn't have imagined back then, which means as trustees, we're trustees of more history, of greater history, with a greater burden to pass it on. So um, I think in that sense, um, the fact that we don't know who the people will be, it won't necessarily be elected people, uh, right. politicians. It won't be the people whose names are in the news right now. It'll be the people who make the commitment and do the and devote their life. And we hope if you're listening to this podcast, it's inspiring you to do it. I, I wanted to emphasize one point that you made about uh, important. And like, I think that's why Passover Pesach is such a instrumental holiday, because what we're doing on that night uh, is that we're, we're, we're retelling our story, our origin story and making sure that the, the main thing of the night is that the kids ask questions because by asking questions, they'll remember the story and and they'll and they'll pass it on to their kids and so on and so forth and it's it's a very jewish thing it's a you know it dates back to to, to you know to the first the first ever uh i guess jewish activity as you can say is the passover experience it's absolutely a jewish thing uh to ask questions uh and to have the conversation um and there's an interesting really uh, interesting theory about world war ii that i came across in the course of my research which was why did hitler lose when in 1940 with the two blitzkriegs uh, uh, he controlled all of europe and the united states was not involved and britain was 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 the last country standing france had been taken over how was it that that hitler lost and a recent historian whose name unfortunately i can't remember right now but he wrote a book and his theory was the reason hitler lost was that no he brooked no dissent and nobody in germany could say this is not going the right way we need to try something else in terms of strategy in terms of diplomacy whereas the democracies which were in disarray had the freedom to suggest ways to proceed and things to do and eventually that overtook um, uh, the most powerful country in the history of the world to that date. And the democracies mobilized themselves. They wouldn't have done it without the discussion. And that's part of my point about, about uh, Zionism, all the way from religious Zionism to the most secular, that there's so many points of view. And people need to understand that Zionism is not one thing. You don't have to pledge allegiance to a particular set of ideas you simply have to want to forward the idea of the jewish people as having uh, a role in history and a right to it uh and make your own contribution 100 so we are sitting with rick richmond author of and none shall make them afraid eight stories of the modern state of israel you can find it on amazon anywhere else you would want folks to find your your book you have a website perhaps yeah, you can go to rickrichman.net, see it there, but it's also at Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and the, and the publisher's website, encounterbooks.com. Great. So make sure you 
check it out. We have two more questions. Um, this is a fun, these are two that we ask all of our guests. If you could have a Shabbat dinner with any three figures in Jewish history, who would they be? And if you want, why? But we just want to know who would be at your Shabbat meal. <laughs> wow. Well, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, I would love to have Jabotinsky uh, for sure, uh, because uh, he's probably the most underrated and misunderstood figure of all the figures I've studied. And he spoke seven languages, um, and he was a playwright and a poet and a translator um, and an orator uh, and an author of novels. Um, so he'd certainly be um, an interesting person. I'd like to get Ben Gurion and Weitzman there too and see if maybe with the perspective of history, they might treat each other a little bit better, but certainly understand each other. And uh, in terms of a current figure, it's probably Ron Dermer. Uh, Dermer, I think, has got an extraordinary story of how he grew up in America and really had a path before him here in America that um, uh, would have been a successful one. And he gave up his American citizenship. And one of the things I quote in the book is the essay that he wrote and appended to his one-page document uh, reneging his American citizenship in order to become an Israeli diplomat. And that document is a State Department document. It's one page with a lot of white space because they want you to understand what you're doing. And that and there's a little, like one sentence, you understand you are giving up American citizenship, which is a valuable asset. You can't get it back. Um, and he said yes and appended a 625-word essay that if there's one thing I would have people read, uh, it would be that essay about Americanism, Zionism, the role of Israel and the United States in the world, the contribution that an individual can make to that, um, to that effort in the world and the importance of it. It's a remarkable thing. So maybe he would come to the dinner and, moder and, and make sure that <laughs> Jabotinsky, Ben Gurion, and Weissman didn't kill each other. <laughs> Make it to dessert. Isaac? If you had, like, if you had access to a billboard that billions of people could see, what would it say and why? Hmm. I think it, it would talk, it, it, it would say, you know, there, there's a, uh, you will know better than I, the, the, a statement from somewhere in the Tanakh um, about know before whom you stand when you when you enter a shul. I would say uh, know, know before whom you stand in this life and know the history that brought you to the present because that will determine your future. And I would hope that people from that would look at the rich, rich history that we've inherited and the incredible stories and the stories of individuals, not just the people, and learn about it. Any anything coming up? Any new projects? Any new books? Or now we're just well, no, I'm just trying, just trying to get people to read this one, okay. um, and eventually, eventually, I hope to have another one. Right. Do you have any questions for us? Um, what's your experience been in terms of, uh, uh, of what you're doing here? Are you getting good feedback? Are you, you, you feel like you're having an impact? 
I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I The feedback has been really strong, but more importantly, thorough insofar as we, I mean, when launching into this project three years ago, over the past three years, we've really sort of fulfilled the, the historical shuffle that is American history. So when it comes to the Jewish content history. we put out on Instagram, Jewish history, not American. Yeah, Jewish history, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same week we have, you know, something related to Treblinka, Albert Einstein, and Sandy Koufax, and that's what Jewish history is. It's this beautiful non-linear um, set of events that has impacted the world and continues to, and so that is constantly, at least in my view, reaffirmed through the work that we do, and the conversations we have with folks like yourself serve as a further extension of that. Well, uh, so we context, yeah. we this is um so we have a different page that is not a podcast it's just a it's on twitter and it's on instagram it's called on this day in jewish history yeah and so there that that's where we that where isaac was talking about how we we get the chance to share about this the spectrum of of jewish history even you know we i i think it's important this is this is my like input to it but important to to emphasize even the holidays even though it's not a historical event as you would define albert einstein or the holocaust but it's still an event that, you know, to, to bring home everything we've been talking about, an event that should form your Jewish identity. Why do we care about Jewish history? Because these things happen to us and because we're still doing these things in, refer in reference to holidays. Uh, on Fridays, I like to take a little bit of the space on the, on the Instagram story to, to talk about the Parsha of the week or maybe some inspiration, some Jewish inspiration that the other days of the week we don't, we don't do. So, so we really try to, to you know, run the gamut of uh, of of what you're saying, secular, religious, cultural, um, and uh, and 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 then show people that that's that's what Judaism is all about. That's what Jewish history is all about. And uh, and and the yeah, the feedback is it's prevalent. Well, we run into people that meet us because they don't. There's no face on that page. So when they meet us, and they're like, "Oh, that's you guys," and they get so excited, and it's like that's a good feeling as well. <laughs> well, so. it's extremely important effort. And uh, it's good to see young people. You got to uh, doing doing something like this, and uh, you've got a unique name for your podcast. So um, you know, Yasha uh, It's it's terrific what you're doing. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you guys. Well, lastly, Rick, how, how tall are you? Uh, I'm five seven, uh, at least on the in the program. So um, uh, yeah, I can't. It, it, it couldn't be three if, if, if you're thinking of changing your name. So um, be, it, my, mine would be one of many short shoes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Two Tall Jews Show. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on Instagram at Two Tall Jews Show and Twitter at Two Tall Jews. And you can also find our umbrella page, Jewish Original Media on Instagram and the very famous on this day in Jewish history on Instagram as well and on Twitter as at Daily Jewish. You can find a link to support us on any of our link trees on Instagram or Twitter or even YouTube. Any and all donations are appreciated and will help in development of all of our content, all of our projects. So thank you for that. See you next week.